Hello there. I'm Christina Young and welcome back to Gloucester Book Club's podcast. In our book lounge tonight, I'm joined on the sofa by James and Liz, and we're going to be talking about Camilla Sharmsey's Best of Friends. It's her latest book, and we hope you enjoy. A dazzling new novel of friendship, identity and the knowability of other people from the international best-selling author of Home Fire, winner of the Women's Prize for Fiction. 14-year-old Mariam and Zara have always been the best of friends, despite their different backgrounds. Mariam takes for granted that she will stay in Karachi and inherit the family business, while Zara keeps her desires secret and dreams of escaping abroad. This year, 1988, anything seems possible for the girls and for Pakistan, emerging from the darkness of dictatorship into a bright future under another young woman, Benazir Bhutto. But a snap decision at a party celebrating the return of democracy brings the girls' childhoods abruptly to an end. Its consequences will shape their futures in ways they cannot imagine. Three decades later in London, Zara and Mariam are still best friends, despite living very different lives. But when unwelcome ghosts from their shared past re-enter their world, both women find themselves driven to act in ways that will stretch and twist their bond beyond all recognition. Best of Friends is a novel about Britain today, about power and how we use it, and about what we owe to those who've loved us the longest. Just to forewarn you, before you dive into our discussion, there may be one or two spoilers. Welcome, James. Welcome, Liz. Thanks for joining me again. We're here to talk about Best of Friends. Camilla Shamsi's latest novel, which we read in book club probably six months or so ago, I think. So I hope you two can still remember it. And if you haven't remembered it, you've done your homework. So I'm going to ask you, James, straight off, what is this book about? Well, it's called Best of Friends. In some ways, it's an exploration of what friendship is, I suppose. It takes place in, in two countries. First of all, it's in Karachi in Pakistan, where the protagonists are adolescent girls. And then it jumps into the future, where they're both 40, maybe, and um, they've moved to London, where they're unbelievably successful. Uh, uh, But anyway, they are successful. And their relationship comes under some strain. A lot of mention of the word propinquity in the book, which is not friendship, apparently. I'm not quite sure what propinquity means, although it obviously says in the book, they're not necessarily friends, but they share the same time and space. And so obviously they talk to each other a lot. And there's friendship, genuine friendship, where two people don't need to share the same time and space to really have a close relationship. And I think that she kept bringing up propinquity. So I think that this book really is about friendship, but it's about a lot of other things as well. It's about immigration and asylum, and it's about Pakistan. And um, it's a jolly good read, I think. It's divided very much into two halves. And I found 
the beginning part in Karachi, somehow more interesting, colourful and alive than the second part, which is basically in London. It is about friendship, but I think it's more about integrity, how you define integrity. And it tries to paint these two girls and then women into sort of good girl, good woman, bad woman. And the boundaries between those shift and they, they somersault at times. So I think it's looking at how people act within some sort of ethical code as well as friendship. And James, you say you liked the book, you know, can you say a bit more about that? What did you specifically like about it? I don't know, we're, we're recording this podcast on a day that uh, we've just heard that Gary Lineker has been banned temporarily from doing Match of the Day because he passed his opinion on the government's immigration policy. And I think today I like the book because it kind of shows the other side. It lifts the lid a tiny bit on what it's like to be someone who wants to live in Great Britain, who all the powers that be are against. Um, and it, I don't know, it's nice to, to when, when all you're doing is listening to the news, talking about inflatable dinghies coming over the channel to, to actually get a version of the other side. I also loved, just like Liz, the Pakistan part. Um, mm. I don't know what. Shams's connection with Pakistan is but it felt so real this wonderful atmosphere of this 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 city in, in about 1990 under General Zia with Benazir Bhutto on the way and the celebrations and everything it was just magical and then you know you go to London and exactly as Liz said it's just not quite so real somehow and so I think Camilla Shamsi must have experienced Karachi in the 1990s but it was great mm. yeah I liked it does stretch credulity a little bit that these two girls, 14 they start off as schoolgirls in Karachi, both of them have ended up at the top of their game. Their games are very different, but one is a millionaireist, one is fated by the Guardian and sort of held out as the conscience of Britain. And that does stretch credulity just a little bit in a novel that they are both so successful. You know, one has the ear of the prime minister. The no, other right. one is fated for her ethical stance on immigration. Um, it's not real, is it? It's kind of, you know, because the beginning part of the book in Pakistan is totally real. It feels second, real. Yes. Second part is like one of these um, American cartoon fairy stories where suddenly someone's a princess with loads of servants and things like that because they don't seem to they don't seem to have conversations that really reflect the important jobs that they've got you know their lives are incredibly mundane and i i would i would expect them to i would expect to see some kind of cutting edge to their behavior which which showed you why they were so rich and successful in the second half but i agree with you again i think for me the key thing was the almost the somersaulting of their characteristics. Sara, for example, in the beginning of the book in Karachi, unless you really read the text carefully, is the good girl, the one that the teachers like, the one who is the sensible, the one that keeps this wayward friend of hers, Mariam, out of danger. Um, in fact, she's not like that at all. But by the time you get to the second part of the book, She's a divorcee who basically has casual sex with strangers 
and seems to have thrown the good girl image completely off. Whereas Mariam, who was regarded as a bit of a rebel as a schoolgirl, is now she has a partner, she has a child, she lives a fairly normal domestic life. And I find this sort of flipping of the good girl, bad girl quite interesting. Having read Camilla Sharms's Home Fire book, which we read as a book club a couple of years ago, this novel didn't didn't quite hit hit the uh, headline for me. I think I only gave it five out of ten at our book club meetings. It was a bit of a disappointment. I, I found it hard to believe that one frightening incident, which we probably shouldn't spoil, um, but one frightening incident that occurred in their quite privileged teenage years in Karachi had been so traumatic to them both that as adults it became the single most important thing that triggers such powerful revenge in London when they're in their 40s. You know, it's it's a hell of a long time since all this has happened. And yet it's triggered this really massive reaction in them. And I agree that in their adult years, I, both living in London, the scenes often seem to me quite superficial, um, even implausible. I do agree with that. Such as the revenge plot that was hatched at Chequers. I was thinking, mm, Craigie, you know, would that is that very realistic? Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I'm just naive about all these things. But yeah, I, I did, did make me wonder at the time. The I think the reader witnessed the revealing of many of the undercover emotions that exist between Zara and Mariam. And I do remember there's one telling line in the book towards the end, I think, where Zara says to Mariam, there's a part of me that's always really hated you. I, that to me reveals so much, you know, and, and possibly quite a lot about teenage girls who have been friends since they were young, you know, that there is always going to be a bit of competitiveness and a bit of jealousy, regardless of how well you like somebody, you know, there may, there may always be that. And I think that came through and I thought that was a very telling comment about them, about their friendship, really. There's almost a showdown between these two women now. They are arguing about a certain course of action that has happened in the present, i.e. one of them has been instrumental in getting someone from their past um, deported from the country. So they're arguing about that. But the argument slips back into this incident when they were 14, which I agree, nothing dreadful happened to them. They weren't raped, they weren't attacked, they weren't physically assaulted. Um, and I do wonder whether, as you got older, whether it would just fade into one of those stories that you sometimes told someone about. Well, I, I think that there is one thing, one point that I would make, because I, I agree with you both. One of the girls, Mariam, was um, lined up to become the head of the family business, uh, which was run by the grandfather. And apparently the father was no kind of person to run a business and there were no male heirs in particular and even though there were two sisters of Mariam they were no kind of people to run a business and so it seems right from the age of about 10 Mariam has been taken into this grandfather who's the head of this business's confidence and he keeps dragging her in and saying now what would you do in this situation we've got somebody stealing from the company how would you deal with it and she's got to give these answers to him and she's always really aware that he might be angry with her whatever and it's quite a tense time for her and he's schooling her 
to be responsible, never to blame anybody else, and to always look after stuff, to be to be the powerful person. And she, you you know, you know that she wants to be like that. And so this this actually lines into that what you're talking about as well, isn't it? I mean, it's not just a kind of story about revenge. It, it's the tension between the two of them, where one of them mm. is responsible and one of them isn't, basically, which is quite mm. quite quite interesting. It colours the whole thing a tiny bit. I think the grandfather figure, who really only appears in the very early stages of the book. He's incredibly hypocritical because he is perfectly prepared to hire thugs to deal with anyone that steps out of line and, and does so. But after this one incident that the girls were subjected to, when Mariam almost suggests to him that this could be done to one of the, one of the people that um, hurt them or frightened them, he's absolutely horrified with her and says, you're not fit to run a business. I also think it's to do, remember in Karachi at the time, after President Zaire and Benazir Bhutto had come in, the status of women was still very much in question. Could a girl be accepted as the head of a prosperous business? A good question. Um, Shamsi portrays their bond as an alliance of opposites almost, I think, in the book, but their individual backgrounds seem pretty adjacent to me. I think Mariam does seem the more wealthy of the two and her background is more wealthy, but they, you know, they're, they're very middle class. Mariam's parents can afford to spend summers in London shopping and Zara's parents, her mother is a school principal. She's got to turn up during the holidays for her job. I think she manages to capture the self-consciousness of the girls at 14 quite well, how they come to terms with the kind of inevitability of their bodies changing and that sort of thing. Because when I do remember when Mariam comes back from London, Zara notices that she's got something called breasts, you know, that she hadn't had before she went. And I think she manages that quite well. Uh, I mean, just just the scenes where they're sitting in a bedroom together, taking in turns to kiss the poster of George Michael and, um, you know, going into a video library and desperately trying to find a copy of Gorillas in the Mist and how treasured that movie would be in Pakistan. I don't know, any little scene and, and all the things that they were into and all the things they did and their conversations about boys and the mystery of the whole thing to them was so well written and it was, you could just listen to it all day long or read it if you're reading it. I, I listen to the audiobook. I agree. One of the, 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 the men from the past when they were in Karachi actually turns up in the second half of the story. And he actually comments on the fact that whether she was aware of it at 14, Mariam is actually a lesbian, she's gay. Therefore, this great incidence of when they went off with the boys, how committed she was to that. She hadn't actually had any boyfriends. In fact, this man from the past actually says to Zara, well, did she ever come on to you? I.e., I thought there was something peculiar about her at the time because she wasn't that interested. So amongst all this puberty and becoming a woman, Mariam's sexuality is much more complicated than that. I think that was true. Zara and Marion seem to agree that friendship is all about those, and this is a quote from the book, shared subtexts that no one else could discern. And I think that is a really, it's really true. When you're very close friends with someone or you have a good relationship with them, you can be in a room with them in a group of people and you've only got to look at each other and you both know what the other is thinking. 
you know, there is this subtext, I think, between really good friends and, and people in relationships as well, actually, that you kind of know just by a look. I thought she did that really well. And I think towards the beginning of the novel, we, we kind of learn that Mariam knew her parents would pave the way into some university or another, knew that her parents' money, in fact, would pave the way into some university or another. I questioned that at the time, and I still question it now. Does, does a 14-year-old really know that? Or is that something that Camilla Shamsi wants us, the reader, to know? I mean, is it is it true that a 14-year-old would have that kind of knowledge about, oh, yeah, my parents have got enough to, you know, pay for me to go to university? Do you think that would be something they'd be thinking about? Well, if you were like me when you were 14, yes. I mean, everything, you were aware of everything, really. I mean, you you were embarrassed by your parents for certain reasons and you were proud of your parents for another reason. I mean, your whole existence was viewed through your parents. I, I think they would have been well aware of what their financial position was on the scale. It's pertinent to a mindset in Karachi in the sense that money can open doors. For example, mm. I knew, if you like, from 14 that I would be going to university, but I don't think I believed that it could be bought. It still required a great deal of work on my part. Money enough wasn't sufficient. Whereas I think in Karachi at that time, money could open doors much more easily than it could perhaps here. Can we fast forward a bit to the a little bit in the book, which is a bit that really I remember feeling very emotional about at the time, where we have a man who's separated from his wife and children, he's in a detention centre. That serves as a backdrop to this climactic dispute between Mariam and Zara at the time. And it really upset me that, that we've got this subplot going on about this man in this detention centre. I wanted more from that subplot. I wanted it to be a bigger part of the story, you know, than it was. Um, it was a very sad outcome to that as well. This guy, you know, had been arrested for being illegal in the country and for working when he shouldn't have been working. But actually, he was really arrested. You know, um, it was it was an accident that he was arrested, really. He was trying to protect Zara at the time. And I found that very emotive. Did you actually wish that you'd have had a bit more of that kind of stuff going on in the book? Because I, I just kind of felt that the subplot was often, for me, a bit more compelling than the main story. This author quite likes the juxtaposition of good, bad, deserving, undeserving, in the sense mm. that Assam, the one that you were talking about, is deported. So is Jimmy, but he is a character that is portrayed as an undeserving asylum seeker. Ah, he's a bad boy. He's done bad things. Therefore, his getting chucked out of the country shouldn't worry us so much about good old Assam, who was only trying to earn a crust of bread getting chucked out. And I do find her, the author's tendency to divide people up into camps. I don't yes. like that. It shouldn't be, well, you deserve asylum, you don't, um, you're a good girl, you're a bad girl. And she does tend to do that quite a bit. I, I like the detention centre. I mean, it, it was um, most exaggerated, the number of doors that she had to pass through to get there. It was, there were about mm. 20 security doors and searches 
And uh, then eventually it was described really well as being the bleakest of places. But it was just a, I mean, it, it was really a, a device to try and illustrate, um, the, the author was trying to illustrate how one of the girls was responsible and got things done. And that the other girl was rather more dilatory and um, let things happen. And other people tended to take the responsibility for helping her out, um, which, you know, and, and so the, the detention center, the, the chap who Christina said had helped her out was actually getting deported because he'd helped Zara. And the, yeah. the, the friend was the one who was always picking up the pieces and dealing with things and saying, well, I'll sort that out for you. I'll sort that out for you. And Zara never really appreciated it was, was the thing. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure that it, it would be fair if the author put more detention center in because she might not have been making her point about these two girls relationship but but yes i thought it was great in the detention center and i thought that we need to know a little bit more about what happens with people coming into this country really it shows how zara you know the one that the, the guardian and panorama and newsnight really love who is up there comfortably on her pedestal feeling desperately for these people but who is it that actually gets her hands dirty and tries to mm. do something, and that's Mariam. And you, you could imagine the Zara's principles would get in the way, mm. whereas Mariam actually, again and again, takes the rap for Zara. Takes the yeah. rap. I mean, it's so ironic that the person that does something should then be the person who who picks up all the blame. Mm. And um, I mean, it's I think it's true in life when you think about it. It's not what you usually expect when you're the person who's responsible and does everything but i mean camilla shamsi's obviously uh taken a long look at life and it's it's quite a nice point to make in a book really in fact though i mean zara does pay quite a high price for all of that at the end of the book doesn't she because she feels she has to resign from her position as you know the head of this civil liberties organization so um you know she loses she loses her job I don't know whether she loses her career over it because we don't really know that at the end. But she does pay quite a high price in the end. She chooses to. I mean, nobody would know. I think no. as Marianne no. said, who on earth would ever know what I've done or who would believe them if they, they made a claim against it? So Zara mm. chooses to give up her job. Have a sneaking suspicion that she will be bouncing back into another one fairly similar fairly soon. Yeah, yeah, probably. Be the woman who's had the uh, the principles, if you like. Mariam, the one who has not been so principled because she's been working in a social media organisation for a long time. So she's prepared to do what has to be done to sort situations out, which she does do. Like you said, Liz, she's the one who, who's proactive in sorting stuff out all the time for both of them. Whereas, you know, Zara's one who has the principles but doesn't always act on them in the showdown at the end between these two women it's brought very much to our attention which we've known all along that when they were girls when it was actually zara who was responsible for the mess that they got them into kept silent when school and parents mm -hmm. were blaming mm -hmm. uh, mariam and saying it's a good job you had your good good friend to try and rope you in a bit, whereas the complete reverse was concerned. Zara kept silent because she didn't want to jeopardise the possibility of a scholarship to a British university. 
So do you think that Mariam is a better friend? Yes, I mean, in the sense that I don't like characters or people for that matter that maintain this facade of integrity and oh my ethics but underneath are prepared to act in a fairly morally reprehensible way i.e let your friend take the complete blame for something that you instigated because you don't want yeah. to jeopardize your future i mean mm. it depends how you view a friendship of course i mean you're asking us what we think is a friendship but loyalty to me is the absolute number one, you know, and I mean, if you can't be loyal to your friends, if you talk badly about them behind their back or something like that, then you're not really a good friend. And certainly if um, one of your friends gets into trouble and you sort everything out for her and then she turns around and blames you for being so difficult or so bossy or whatever, it doesn't really seem fair. And yes, Mariam was the better friend without a question. So I'd like to hear someone else giving a different opinion, really, because it would be interesting. <laughs> well, I think we all agreed sort of on that when we discussed it at Book Club, didn't we? Because I did ask that question right at the end, does principle of loyalty make for better friendship? And, and that's, that actually is a tricky one, because if you, if you have a friend who you fundamentally disagree with about something, does your loyalty to them stop you from saying what your opinion is very close friends can disagree passionately and take totally different stances that's not really what i'm talking about it's more that one friend allowed the other friend to be blamed completely unfairly yes. and when yes. at the towards the end of the book as adults mariam is tr trying to pursue a policy that will get Zara off the hook Zara says to her well okay but just don't tell me and in the mm. end she tries to wriggle out of that and she said oh well I didn't ask you to not tell me what you were going to do I just wanted you to not tell me what you'd found out she's trying to yeah. wriggle back up onto the high ground oh I didn't I didn't really say you could go ahead and do whatever you wanted to I just didn't want to know about it the ending of the novel leaves Quite a lot to the reader's imagination, and I guess that's deliberate as well. What did you think had become of the friendship at that point? Because they've had a fairly major falling out, haven't they, by the end of the of the book? Would you have written that ending differently if if you'd have been writing it? And what do you think might become of that friendship in the future? I quite liked the open ending. I mean, they had since getting back into contact with each other over the years as adult women met each other regularly, even though they knew they were poles apart politically. Um, mm. But they could still enjoy each other's company and walks and lunches and things. And remember that Zara was a very favourite aunt, if you like, to Mariam's daughter. Um, yes. That there was a close relationship between Mariam's daughter and Zara, who she looked on as a family member. Yes. I think there comes a point when... You look at each other and the sort of how could you do that how could you let that happen takes a lot of healing they may well get back into contact with each other but i think it will take time i think so too i mean i, I remember that bit right at the end of the book where they're because they they both have this kind of routine of going for walks with each other on a sunday don't they they go through a park and uh, they're still doing that on a Sunday as well. And they come across each other 
kind of walking the same route and but they kind of deliberately walk separately they deliberately don't acknowledge each other they don't get back into walking with each other but they carry on walking in the same direction which kind of leaves you thinking are they at some point going to come back together like you say liz is that going to happen you know a few years down the line maybe that zola um mariam's daughter who has yes. a great deal in common with the stance that um, Zara takes, she mm. may be a mediator between the two of them. What, yeah. what I found quite interesting, it was almost amusing, but you felt terribly guilty by smiling at it, was the descriptions of the level of corruption in this country, you know, that mm. you could, if you had sufficient funds, um, make donations to political parties which gave you sort of access to ministers and you could pull strings and there's that very amusing scene where all I could think of was Boris Johnson where Marianne's talking to a prime minister who's coming on to yeah. her very strongly and stroking yeah. her up and flirting with her and you're thinking yeah. that's Boris you know somehow we expected the fact that there would be bribery and corruption in Karachi because of, well, that's Pakistan, but was just as much going on at, in, at the British end. I mean, just to sort of round off the podcast, really, is this a book that you would recommend other people to read? Is it a book that you'd recommend for a book club discussion? Yes. I think generally our, our discussion has kind of, we, we all are completely aggrieved, really, in that the, the picture of Pakistan that we get in the first half of the book is just unmissable it's just so wonderful and that the picture of London that we get in the second half of the book isn't quite so genuine feeling that the point is that everything that happened in Pakistan at the beginning is coming home to roost in the second half and the ending's pretty cool really I mean I I would recommend it yes definitely yeah and it's got cricket in it as well (laughs) yeah I mean there is one telling point when this incident that is the, the 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 fundamental part of the first book with the two girls, and later on, um, Mariam says, "Oh, it, you know, the most frightening part of my life," and Zara says, "No, remember, she her father is a cricket commentator before um, the change of government, and her father is threatened with all sorts of thuggery." if he doesn't sort of broadcast to President Zaire. And she said, no, the most frightening thing was being powerless under a dictatorship. There's quite a thread of politics running through this at the both yeah. the Pakistani end and the London end. Funnily enough, when I read it the first time and we discussed it at book group, I was average in my estimation mm. of it. Having looked at it perhaps in more detail now, particularly individual pieces of text, I actually think there's more depth to it than I did the first time around. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, coming back to something after a gap of time. What about you, James? Have you got any different thoughts about the book now than you did six months ago? I think it's great. And um, Pakistan is fascinating, I think. It, It would just be so great to visit a country like that because... I don't know. I, I do like watching cricket and they recently had a test series in Pakistan. And every time the camera pulls back from the ground and you can see the main roads around the cricket ground, you can kind of see this chaos on the street and lots and lots of little motorbikes and things like that. And you can't help thinking, 
wouldn't it be great? It'll be so warm there. It'd be so nice to just wander around in that chaos and see what goes mm. on when when mm. everything in, in Britain is so top shop and moss bros and everything and, and Costa coffee. Pakistan is a place that would really be different. It's a lovely, lovely description of, of how people behave and how adolescent girls in, in a Muslim country see boys and they want to have relationships and yet they're stopped from having relationships and they've got to be so careful. And if they're ever seen with a boy, then they might get expelled from school or something. All of this is just fascinating. Thank you out there, listeners, for coming back to us. We'll be back again in about a month's time when we'll be doing this all over again. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Gloucester Book Club's podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google and Apple Podcasts and many more. We look forward to having you join us again soon.